tonight we want to look at the book of Jude. We started here last Thursday night, but I want to continue on. Okay, God speaks to Timothy through the Apostle Paul. And again, we want to start with um, uh, the book of Jude tonight, but I want to close out and find somewhere where we can perhaps park the car again in um, the book of First uh, um, uh, Timothy. Now, as, as Maisha was praying, yes, we're preparing for a tremendous, um, and I don't know any other word to use right now tonight, but assault. We want to create a, a tremendous assault on the camp of the enemy, particularly as it relates to Black Hebrewism. And I'm just beginning to see its influences. It's being sprinkled throughout the Black community. I think there was a time when it was more of a novelty to see men with the purple and the gold and the hood in the corners and far fighting and arguing going on. But unfortunately, I think in this post-pandemic uh, quarantine world, folks uh, are getting restless. People are getting curious. People are getting bored. People are looking for something else. And I think that the church should be on the cusp and on the front end of dealing and ministering in areas, particularly as they relate to the Black community and the African-American males of our community. And so uh, let's lay a little foundation tonight. And uh, I did talk to a very dear friend of mine. In fact, as I promised you all, the very next morning, I called Pastor Dumasani in Washington. He uh, worked a co-worker of mine. We worked many years together. And uh, he just completed a second book. And one of the book uh, chapters deals exactly and directly to Black Hebrewism. He was like, Pastor Stephen, absolutely, let's tag team. You called it you name it, when, where, it didn't matter. Let's make it happen. So I said, give me a few days to put something together. So it's going to be a phenomenal time. I, I purposely want this to go viral. So we'll sprinkle it on Facebook Live and Twitter and YouTube and all of those things. And, you know, it'll it, it, it create some attraction and some attention. And we might even get a couple of haters out of it all. But at the end of the day, whom the sun is set free is free indeed. And you should know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Jude, verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a bondservant of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God, the Father, and kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. Loved by God, but kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Listen to what Jude says. He says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Uh, Jude says, I, my, my original plan was to talk about our common salvation. Let's just bask in the glory of God's saving grace. He says, but a priority came up. And that priority dealt with the fact that I needed to encourage you to stay laser focused and contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to all the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. Your version in the King James might say they crept in unaware. They are godless men, not godly, but godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. They deny Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. Uh, for those that were with me last Thursday night, we began by reminding you all that scholars and experts suggest that Jew wrote this letter some 60 maybe even 80 years after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But notice, um, what you may not realize is Jude uh, does not does not talk about him being the stepbrother or the half-brother of Jesus. He talks about being a slave or a bondservant or uh, a servant of the Lord. The truth is, he could have claimed right to being the half-brother physically by blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And real quick, the whole book of Jude can be summarizing you all can see all my notes here tonight in three sections. You have the ambition of his letter, 
You have the argument of this letter and you have the answers provided with Jude's letter. At the end of the day, the whole book of Jude, for those who are just joining us tonight, we're in the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelations in the New Testament, written about 60, maybe 80 years after the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So, so the whole thing is this, listen, we've got some saints who are backsliding. We've got some elders, some deacons, some missionaries, maybe even a church mother. We've got some long-lasting, long-standing believers who no longer believe. And Jude says, guys, let's take notice of this. These are those who are committing apostasy. Apostasy simply means the revolt against, to renounce the faith, to abandon faith. In fact, it simply means to stand against that which once you stood for. Now, I'm going to share my screen just for a few moments here. Um, blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry, let me stop sharing my screen. So in, in, in a nutshell, here's, here's what we found out tonight. Um, Jews got some concern tonight. I have concern tonight. Um, years ago, years ago, we looked at the cult, the occult. We talked about universalism. We talked about new age, the occult, um, uh, witchcraft. We looked at even, you know, what we would consider false religions. Um, that was before pandemic. That was before our, literally our world would have been rocked these last 12 months. And, and there's been no, no fellowship, there's been no convocations, there's been no conferences, there's been no revivals, there's been no physical times where people could get together and spend days after days in fellowship and in koinonia, um, small groups in person. There's been a lot of things. And I think the first two or three months, you know, maybe even I'd be, you know, guilty of saying, ah, we'll be okay, we'll get back, you know, business as usual. But here we are 12, now 13 months in, and I think it has now been concluded the church will never be as it was. The church will never be as it was. We have to rethink, retool, retrain, regroup in what we do in effective ministry. My concern is who have we lost in this transition? Who have we lost in this way? How many men today are no longer as solid in their walk with the Lord because of the lack of prayer, accountability, responsibility, uh, fellowship? How many women have distanced themselves from the things of the Lord because uh, the lack of small groups or, or, or opportunities to serve in the physical church, being in Bible studies and choir rehearsals and ushers meetings and, and, and being in the word. And um, how many people have distanced off into the worldwide web, just looking and curious at certain quote unquote uh, other alternatives to heaven. You know, I, I said, I said, um, I said a few weeks ago, well, I actually said on last week that, you know, as you saw the notes, 70% of Christians believe that there are more than one way to, to, to heaven now. And that's absurd. That's absurd. Um, you know, there are not many scriptures that are as direct and emphatic as, as John 10 and 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and life abundantly. John 14, 6. Uh, um, uh, I am the truth, the way, and the light. No one comes to the Father but except through me. That's an exclusivity, exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. Second Timothy 4, Paul writes to Timothy and reminds him, and I want you to listen to, to this very, very close. In fact, okay, yeah, I'll share my screen because I know somebody probably didn't have Second Timothy on tonight. Um, let me share this just so you can see these scriptures, okay? Very important tonight, by the way. Second Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 2. The Bible says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Listen closely. The time will come. They will not endure sound doctrine. 
according to their own desires, committees, search teams, popularity, because they have itching ears, watch this, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I wanna pause this for a moment there because I really, really need you to understand what's going on here and what's being said, okay? Um, the day would come when the solid, sound, theological construct of teaching and preaching would no longer be appreciated. It's not sexy. It's not popular. It didn't move the crowd. But here's what they'll find. They'll find some really phenomenal and fascinating communicators, motivational speakers, you know, maxims and one-liners and somebody who can give you really what you want to feel. We call it eye candy or, or, or house dressing. Something that just makes you feel good. But it's not truth. It's not solid. It is not sound. So they're turning their ears away from the truth and they'll be turned aside. The Bible says the fables. Is that not the day you and I live in today? I mean, think about it. We, we have people now more interested in catchy, church cliches and one-liners and things that make you feel good. I'm be honest with you, I'm kind of sick and tired of all of these motivational messages on Twitter. You know, every day, uh, uh, click here, God's got a blessing for you. Uh, uh, touch this, um, um, tomorrow is your day. It, it was cute for the first, I don't know, few weeks, but now it's like, okay, everybody got a word for somebody. What about just reading the Bible? What about going back to solid reading and teaching of the word of God? Um, so, so what happens now, we can help the fact that we can't gather together, but now we don't fellowship with one another. We can't right now. So what are we to do? The Bible says, let's not stop meeting together as some have gotten into the habit of doing Hebrews 10, 25. Physically, we can't meet together, but can we at least meet together online? Can we at least meet together in small groups? Can we meet, practice social distancing and be safe and smart? But now we, we're not allowing that to happen. So here comes this whole, you know, I'm going to do me. We don't need the church. We don't need the pastor. This is all man-made religion. I'm just going to do me. Well, friends, that is the spirit of what I call meism. That is that is me making myself the final rule and the final judge. That's nothing short of idolatry, right? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. We want to have the form of godliness, but we want Christ nor his word to be anywhere in that equation. What about the gospel of universalism? What is that? That's the heresy that teaches that God's gonna save everybody, regardless of what they believe, regardless of how they live, they still go into heaven. Uh, friends, that, that kind of got Bishop Carlton Pearson in trouble, right? Um, you know, remember there was a time when only, I mean, Carlton Pearson could attract from the black, the white, the Hispanic, the Asian. He attracted from classical Pentecostal, the apostolic Pentecostal. To, I mean, the Zeus Street revivals were nothing short of phenomenal. But then he got this revelation that, you know what? How can God send so-and-so to hell? How can God send this person to hell? And a little leaven began to leaven the whole lump and the spirit of inclusion and the spirit of universalism kicked in. People started saying, we enjoyed that music. We love the, the, the concerts and the conferences. We gotta get off the boat here because we don't subscribe to that. Galatians 1, 8 reminds us, but even if we as pastors, as preachers, even as we or if an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than what we preach to you, let that man be accursed. So friends, we gotta ask ourselves a question tonight and I'm not gonna be long here. 
if there are people preaching Black Hebrewism, if there are people preaching Mormonism, if there are people preaching, you know, in the Jehovah Witness uh, facet, you know, only 144 will be saved. Well, that may sound good years ago when population was really, really low. What happens if there's 145,000 Jehovah Witnesses? There's a, we had a thousand problems, <laughs> you know, if there's 154,000 Jehovah Witnesses, you got a 10,000 membership problem there. We've, we, we've, we've allowed certain men to creep into our theology, twist it, add to it, and follow and, and lead people astray. And, and I just kind of wondered, is there any more susceptible place than the black church? We've gotten bored. We've got it un, un, unattentive. We've allowed certain things to distract us. And now we're, we're, we're not sure what's going on, right? Tonight, I, it's important to me that you understand a couple of things about what can you do and what can I do? I don't ever like to preach messages or teach on these type of messages and not really give you some type of talking points. Number one, you're gonna to have to really identify these men. In Jude's day, and again, Jude is really, really one chapter at the end of the day. When you look back, and let me just say this real quick. I encourage every one of you, if, if we could have a homework assignment tonight, read the book of Jude. It's only 20, what, 24 verses, I think it is. It's not a long chapter, but read the book of Jude. Look at the construct. Look at the, the parallels. Read the book of Judah. Anytime you read the Bible, you really have to read it in multi-layers. What is it saying? What is it saying to me? And then what will I do about it? You study the word of God. Read intently because Jude identifies somewhere between verse 4 through, I don't know, maybe verse 9 or 10. He talks about these are certain men who slept through, who, who slipped through the slide door. And, and he, he compares them to fallen angels in verse 6. He compares it to strange flesh as of Sodom and Gomorrah in the sexual immorality, verse 7. Let me pause for that. Think about people now who, particularly Christians, who feel like homosexuality is okay. It's not a sin. Um, it's, 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 you know, God gave people an opportunity to choose and to love and blah, blah, blah. Well, Jude says, verse 7, we have a problem with that. He calls that strange flesh, and he compares that to the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. What do we remember about Sodom and Gomorrah? The cities were destroyed, not because of adultery, not because of um, um, uh, lying or, or, or cheating or backbiting, um, but there were two particular sins because these were sins not only against each other, these were sins against nature. What do you mean by that? Well, only man or woman has the psyche of committing homosexual act. You don't see it happening with dogs. You don't see this happening with cows. You don't see it happening with giraffes. You don't see that happening with horses. Some dumb scientist came up with some crazy animal in the Amazon who could be male and female at the same time and use that as a poster child for homosexual rights. How stupid is that? But at the, at the end of the day, there is no natural uh, ability between two men or two males and two females. That was a decision a man or woman made. And even if that is your argument, well, uh, uh, I was born this way. I was born this way. Well, maybe that's why you could be reborn and be born again because God has a solution from the Bible for every one of man's frailties and failures. Jude says these are dreamers who defile the flesh, verse 8. He calls them these who reject authority. They speak evil of leadership. They've gone the way of Cain, of Balaam, 
and of horror. Uh, you know, we can go on and on and on. Why is this important? When you read the Bible, compare what you read in Jude's day and look what we see in our day. Think about our world. We reject authority, not just church authority. But we don't care for any other authority in the land for this day. We don't trust big government. We don't trust big pharma, big church. Anything big is no longer trustworthy. We've lost the trust of banks. And now that kind of permeates into the church, right? We think about rebellious kids, things that our kids and our kids' kids get away with today. Had we tried that stuff 30 years ago, 40 years ago, man, we'd be, I'm gonna slap the black off your face. I mean, we heard all, be honest now, y'all heard that, I heard that. You know, we didn't speak until we were spoken to, right? Uh, um, mama and daddy, auntie, grandma, big mama's in the room talking. We had to exit the room. And if we was in the room, we better act like we weren't listening. Um, um, but nowadays, our kids can tell us kind of where we can go and when we can come back. Rebels, rebellious, sensual people who love to cause division, verse 19. The Bible says these are those who are wandering stars in darkness, verse 13. Grumblers, complainers, verse 16. I mean, this book is loaded, loaded with things that you can identify now as precursors and prerequisites and preludes to people who are backsliding, people who abandon the faith. They just don't wake up overnight and say, you know what, I later with God, later for this gospel, I'm just gonna do me. It didn't start like that. People who kind of consider themselves superstars the first time, people who are complaining and grumblers, spiritual people who love to cause division. God has called you and I to be peacemakers. Not divisive. He called us to be repairers of the breach, not sores of discord. He's called us to be ministers of reconciliation, not instigators and agitators. But everything we see happening today, we actually saw in Jude's day. But notice this, he gives us an answer. And so let me let me close. My, my time is almost up. Let me close tonight's Bible study with Pastor Stevens. What do we do? Um, when we notice people straying away? What do we do when we notice people who are not as committed or, or as excited or enthused about the Lord? And what do we do if we have concern about people who are now questioning their walk with God? Number one, notice what Jude does in verse 17. He says, remember the words that I've, that I've communicated to you by your leaders. Remember the words that have been communicated by your leaders. Verse 17, Jude reminds the church, remember the words of godly instruction, okay? Remember the words that has been taught to you, that has been preached to you, and we're talking about the word of the Lord. You, beloved, remember the words which were spoken to you by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's been so much credibility torn down in church leaders. There's been so much value Torn, torn down in, by church leaders, there's no more respect for them. But there was something in Jude's day, there was something in the Bible that was very, very special about the leadership. In fact, in my own private Bible study, I'm reading, I think I'm in um, uh, First Timothy 5 right now, where the Bible says, remember your elders who serve not only in deed, but in word, who, 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 who serve in word and in doctrine. He says, they're worthy of double honor. Remember the men and women of God who labored over you. And it doesn't have to be a church elder by way of title with the clergy on, but those who were spiritually more mature, 
those who, who, who inspired you in the gospel. Some of them might've been your grandmother, could've been your auntie, a spiritual mother, someone who poured into you when you could wipe your own nose, people who loved you while you were walking in your own carnality and sin. They're worthy of double honor because they gave you the word of God. So there's something of value with leaders that pour into you. Number two, build yourselves up through consecration with faith and praying in the Holy Ghost. If you look at the book of Jude, verse 20 nails it. He says, build yourself up by praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, of course, in the Pentecostal tradition, we automatically interpret that as it be, we're going to pray in, the, in tongues. But that's not quite necessarily all that it meant. Yes, I believe in the body of praying in tongues. But I believe it was more so praying in the spirit. Make sure that when you pray, you're praying with the aid, the assistance, the paraclete of the Holy Spirit, that our prayers are not empty, that our prayers are not lifeless, that our prayers are not just run of the mill, going through the motions. But we invite the Holy Spirit to be with us when we pray. We listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit as we pray and we wait patiently to hear from heaven as God speaks through the Holy Spirit things we've been praying for. Why is this important? Because he's going to give you the wisdom on how to minister to your sister. He's going to give you some wisdom on how to minister to a loved one who's going astray. I had a conversation recently. I've actually I've had several conversations. So if you're watching this tonight, you think I'm talking about you, but you're peeking in on our broadcast. No, no, brother or sister, I'm not talking about you. I've had several conversations where people are struggling with their faith and they're not quite sure what they were brought up in they believe in still and i'm saying to you forget about mama's religion and dad's religion and the church's religion what has jesus done for you what 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 did the lord do for you when you were astute admired and sin and god brought you out that was a bit more the behavior modification he gave you hope on the inside when no school no money no position no accolade had given you that hope what did he do for you? And these are the things that I'm fearing that people are growing weary with because they have not been in atmospheres and in cultures and environments where somebody could minister to them. Third and finally, have compassion that makes the difference. Have compassion that makes the difference. And friends, that's, that, that's, my, that's my encouragement to every one of you all on tonight. It's have compassion, remembering yourself. Someone had to have compassion on you when you were struggling with identity. Someone had compassion on you when you when you broke the promise and you said you would never go here and never go there and never do this and never say that. You did it anyway. When you were struggling in your condemnation, someone reached in and grabbed you and loved you and brushed off the sin and brushed off the mess and said, stand and God's going to bless you. Now it's your turn to show compassion. To somebody else. Because Jude says it best in Jude 24, he says, in some having compassion, make the difference. Make the difference. Let me do one thing before I close. Out of here tonight. Hold on, hold on, hold on my Bible. I want to show you one scripture. And, and, and this is something I fail to overlook, but when you look at Jude, one of the verses I often, or we, we often actually say look over, or I mean, I often look over, is is is, is verse. Um, 23, but others stay with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. There are some, my brothers and sisters, you show the unconditional, unwavering love 
and compassion of Jesus. You delicately walk with them through the journey. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to walk on the journey with them. And we show that love and compassion, right? <clears throat> My brothers and sisters, there comes a time when, when with other people, you may have to snatch them out of the very fire of sin, the very fire of detriment, the very fire of, of, of entrapment. And these type of people, maybe it's not the language of compassion as much as it is the language of righteous indignation. I've been on both sides of that. I know what it's like to have to walk that journey compassionately. I also know what it's like to get up in the morning with a couple of brothers and snatch someone literally off out of some drug house or off some street corner. Because now unto him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is a keeper. God is a sustainer. You know what? God will use you to bring healing and wholeness to other people. Um, we are living in some very perilous, very interesting times. And every one of you, undoubtedly, just like me, we have loved ones, whether they're children, siblings, parents, distance family members, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a, a, a close friend, a colleague, and you're concerned about their salvation. Remember the word of the Lord. Walk with compassion. Keep yourself prayed up. And God will use you to make a difference in their lives. All right?